Welcome to Just One Q. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert and advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts about the latest scientific trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each week, I ask one burning question tied to current events. Our goal is to leave you with the tools you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. So we know that the recruitment and talent acquisition is a critical first step in making our workplaces more diverse. We also know that the onus is on talent acquisition to use best practices to ensure they're attracting diverse candidates, such as widening the job search to include candidates from different pools. But what if you're a newcomer to Canada or the US, or if you're a soldier transitioning from service to the city streets, or re-entering the job market after taking time off a parent? What if you see your dream job, but you don't have all the requirements listed in the posting? Should you still apply? It's not easy to always see the direct correlation between what you've done and what you're capable of doing. And let's be honest, recruiters are busy. They're inundated with resumes and the hiring process can at times feel a bit like rolling the dice. But there are ways that you can hack the corporate recruitment process to make your experiences stand out. So for today's burning cue, I'm asking what can diverse job seekers do to stand out in the corporate recruitment process? To answer today's question, I'm joined by Jesse Ryan. Hi, Jesse. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure, Melissa. Thank you for having me. So in addition to being the founder, Jesse's role with High Road Human Capital is to seek out organizations that can truly benefit from High Road's unique approach to solving HR and talent acquisition problems. With 22 years in the recruitment industry, Jesse is driven to educate, educate on more efficient <laughs> and cost-effective ways to approach hiring. Jesse has been fortunate enough to have worked in every facet of talent acquisition, staffing, corporate, consulting, and as an independent contractor. Prior to High Road, Jesse co-founded a successful management consulting firm strictly focused on building talent acquisition functions in, for small and medium enterprises. In addition, Jesse has held senior positions at Augment HR, Head to Head, Microsoft, and Morneau Chappelle. Jesse has a keen interest in helping others and spends much of his time volunteering with nonprofit organizations like Civic Action, 360 Kids, and Treble Victor Group. Always on the move, Jesse fills the rest of his time competing in a variety of sports. Jesse is a former five-time Karate Ontario champion, military biathlon champion, and an Ironman triathlete. Wow. <laughs> uh, it sounds better when you read it, Melissa. Does it? Yeah. Sounds more accomplished. Well, it is. It's extremely. Well, thank you. So back to my question, Jesse, what sure. can diverse job seekers do to stand out in the corporate recruitment process? I think it's what all job seekers can do, but particularly diverse candidates. There's a lot of things that can be done, but I think what is imperative for candidates to understand is what's happening on the other side. Unfortunately, the reality of the market is when recruiters of all types are screening resumes, it typically becomes an exercise in exclusion not inclusion. So as disheartening as it might be to hear that, I, I wanna give you an image. I want you to picture a junior or maybe a best intermediate recruiter that has 100 to 500 resumes to screen in a single day. So black and white, black and white, black and white. It's impossible for us to take the time and read your entire resume word for word, line for line, so we skim them and different recruiters have different techniques. And in most cases, it takes me anywhere from three to eight seconds to exclude a resume. 
And I, I can give you uh, kind of a, a visual example of that and, and then maybe talk you through it. Would that work for you, Melissa? Yeah, I think that'd be really helpful to understand because sure. I think I just remember for my own self, when I was transitioning from academia into the world of work outside of you know, the ivory tower, I really, I had been trained to create a CV that you know, was academic focused, but really had to spend a ton of time navigating a totally different language in terms of communicating my skills and just having that peek inside the, in, or having that insider's track, I think would be super mm. helpful. So yeah, I'd well, love it if you'd walk us through sort of your process. I will. But to that note, I always tell job seekers, it is a job finding a job. So not, I happen to have a resume right here. Perfect. What are the odds? <laughs> Today we're going to use my own. No okay. word of a lie. Literally, when I screen a resume, I'm looking for, for something in a very targeted method. And I break it down into three tranches of three to five seconds. I'm going to explain and, and tell you why. The first thing I'm going to look for each and every time exclusively without fail is job title. I have a mandate from my client, or if you're corporate, from your employer uh, and your hiring manager to find a specific title. Let's pick something generic like finance manager. Okay. So I'm going to quickly look through that resume, and if finance manager is not jumping off the page at me or something similar, it's out. I don't have time to dig for it. The worst thing you can ever do as a candidate is make a recruiter work harder than they have to. Don't make me read and don't make me search for the, the most simple and elemental information that I'm looking for. So if I'm looking for finance manager, I'm not hard rigid in that. I might look for a title above that, say finance uh, director or finance team lead or lead. So finance manager, one above, one below. If you've got, that buys you another three to five seconds with me, where I'll go through that resume at the same speed. And personally, the next thing I'm looking for is tenure. How long have you stayed at any particular job? And what I'm looking to, hoping to not find is that you're a job hopper. So anything, even in this market where there's the gig economy and people move around, anything under 24 months and a series of jobs or assignments under 24 months, can be a kiss of death. That's um, interesting because I'm I mean, counterintuitive because I know that maybe a couple years ago it was like, it was great to see that people were moving and doing that or that sort of was the trend. But that's yeah. interesting to know that at least having a tenure of two years, what does that tell you then? Let me back it up. You're allowed a couple. Sure. I've got a couple on my resume, but if there's a series of those and it is a obvious trend, what that ends up telling me is there's something unstable here. There's some instability to either the opportunities that you're choosing or how you're being viewed by your employer. And as much as the, as I uh, just mentioned, there's a gig economy and people are moving here and people are moving there. As much as we all like to say we understand that and embrace it, hiring managers do not. Hiring managers in the back of their crocodile mind, that mm -hmm. fight or flight, the things that scare them, they don't, they want stability. Whether it's realistic or not, whether it's indicative of the market or not, hiring managers seek stability. And delusionally, <laughs> and to date, most, if not all of them are all thinking, 
I would like to get five to seven years out of this person. I have clients that are still telling me we're looking for 10 year people and it's just not not based in reality. However, when we're presenting a short list of pre-screened candidates to a client and they see that, again, that, that crocodile brain emerges, they get scared. And when they get scared, even after we've passed you, they will tend to exclude you or raise the question, what's going on here? I need to know more about it. That's so really, really helpful that to know. Yeah. And then the third and last thing, and this is, I wouldn't say optional, but it's always a nice thing. And this is where we get into the psychology of the reader a little bit. And that's things that we recognize. And sometimes it's brand recognition. Sometimes it's an acronym. Sometimes it's a software that you might uh, have in your tool belt, what have you. But as myself, as the reader, if I see something that I recognize and that I'm familiar with, even though, let's say, your last uh, job was at one of the big four banks. That's obviously something that every reader in this country, every resume reader is going to recognize. It could also be Dollarama. It's not particularly sensational or held at a very high regard from a retail perspective, but I recognize it. And just the fact that I recognize it, it's going to put me in a more comfortable place. It's something that I know as opposed to something that I don't know. So again, I'm going to look at title. I'm going to look at tenure and then i'm going to look at let's call it banners okay. or things that i can recognize and the best way to do that on your resume and i don't know if it's going to dictate on the screen i think it will is you can clearly see from my content yep. my bullets that my years of tenure are in bold yep. my banners and my titles happen to be in this case i like to use a little bit of color and I'm a veteran, so in this case, I've used something close to olive drab because I'm familiar with it and it's a softer tone. I'm not saying you have to use color, you certainly don't, but you need to delineate and spoon feed information to the reader. So they need to be able to break down visually, literally within seconds, those dates, that title, and that banner, full stop. That's really helpful. I think we put time into crafting our resumes and the words that we use but really what you're saying is that this is really an exercise in design and how you can draw the reader's eye and attention to those three things uh the job title tenure and and those banners now what about we all use linkedin i'm guilty of being a linkedin creeper myself when i want i'm always looking at that's what it's for yeah exactly how do we how do you position yourself online do you have any sort of best practices that way because we know that if you pass your first eight second test it's likely that you might move to linkedin next or very likely yeah very likely one of the mistakes that job seekers tend to make is they they are overt on linkedin in their job search and as fundamental as intuitive as this might seem i'm going to tell you how it can work against you so first of all job seekers might feel inclined or feel the need to basically repeat their resume on their LinkedIn profile. Don't do that. Don't duplicate the process. What I would suggest, and what I, it's a simple rule of thumb, and it, it's not based in science or anything like that, but I would suggest you put one third to maximum 
50% of the best content that you feel you have on your resume on your LinkedIn profile. So give us a taste. It's, let's, consider, let's consider your resume, your highlight reel, if okay. you were auditioning, and let's consider LinkedIn, your teaser reel. So give them a taste of what is to come. In addition to that, one of the things that is regrettable, and it just is what it is, when I see on a LinkedIn profile, seeking new opportunities, open to new opportunities. As much as I feel the genu genuinity of what that job seeker is trying to do, unfortunately, it does smack of desperation. Hmm. And nobody wants that. We want, ideally, and for on behalf of my clients, we want passive candidates that either are or come off as the most passive. And when I say passive, employed, good at what they do, and well-rewarded, as opposed to active candidates who are typically unemployed. And even if they are employed, they are generally disgruntled. They are generally not taken care of, and they are generally underpaid. And the market can feel that. It's almost visceral. Hmm. So as much as you're looking for a job and you want to put, a, put that out there, you've got to hold back as a candidate. And these things might seem counterintuitive, but I can yeah. just tell you from a realistic and recruitment perspective, this is the way the market actually operates behind the scenes. I think... We often use LinkedIn as well to post content that we're passionate about or support other causes. Is there anything that we can put on there as well? So you said this is a teaser reel. Is there any sort of personal information, causes you champion, volunteer work, work with like nonprofits that sort of helps to boost your resume? Is that effective or is that, how does that work with? You can do it. You can do it. LinkedIn is great in that if you make any edits or periodically LinkedIn will tell you how awesome they think your profile is right. or not. So there's a lot of fields that can be filled out there. If you can do it honestly and with integrity, pump in all those fields. There's fields for nonprofit. There's fields for, for education. There's all of those things. What, what I would suggest is this, and I would say this applies to the resume as well. I see a lot of resumes that just end hmm. with their last job. And it's, there's not a summation. There's, not a con there's no feeling of conclusion when I screen a resume like that. So as cliche as it might sound, hobbies, interests, I'd say more now than ever, we do want to see something there. Because in my mind and in my opinion, yes, it's phenomenal that you've showed all of this great work experience. We know when you're in the office place that you are a, you are a machine. And there's nothing that can be put in front of you that you won't execute to the nth degree. However, we do want to know that you have a life. <laughs> we do want to know that you are somebody and that there are things that you're interested in and there are people that probably embrace you outside of, of your employment. And you read a few off in my bio at the end. And I, <laughs> I don't want people to get it wrong. You don't have to be a, a multi-time karate champion or an Ironman. You don't have to have things as, let's call it, salacious or uh, interesting at the end. I would avoid long walks on the beach and 
hiking. Sure. Really, when you're putting, when you're adding that summation to your LinkedIn profile or your resume, make it personal. What do you actually enjoy doing? Are you, can you play four chords on the guitar? Which means you can play almost every country song that's out there. Are you an amateur green thumb? Whatever it is, but make it, make it personal and make it real as opposed to inflated. Yeah. No, that, that or generic. Don't be generic. If at all possible, try not to be generic. Well, I think the running theme is standing out and using certain tips and tricks to, to do that, so to make yourself stand out. Yeah. So once you've, you, so you've passed the initial resume screen, you've got past LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Is the next thing a phone or online? How do you do that next level of screening? Yeah, typically it's a phone screen or a Skype or who says Skype anymore, a, a <laughs> Zoom call. Interesting you mentioned that. I recently, just with my clients, we have weekly calls that we run down all the work that we're doing from them and what have you. And we do it on conference call and and it works very well. There's no hiccups in it and, and we're able to get our points across. But recently we were on one of those calls and while we were on it with about 18 members, my client texted me and said, can we, for phone interviews, why don't we move to Zoom? And I had an immediate immediate, I already said it before, I used the word, but I'll use it again. I had immediate visceral reaction. And I said, it can be done. We could move to Zoom. It might be worth looking at. But my immediate concern was, as soon as you move to a visual, Mm -hmm. that's where bias has a bigger opportunity to creep into the process. Okay. Whether it be conscious or unconscious. And I would suggest the majority of bias in recruitment is unconscious, but Mm -hmm. you never know what baggage or what background or what how jaded the recruiter that is performing that screen, what they're bringing to the table. When you take the visual element out of it, you're able to focus on the words on the page and the words that are coming through uh, your headset. And and I'd say it's, it's more comprehensive. And there's less distraction in that. Yep. And you're, re- you're able to get more as opposed to less. You, I think you can get more out of that and find out more about the person and their work experience than, than you possibly could in a video scenario. But both work. Get me wrong. And in this world, you, even if you were to pass a phone screen with us and you move on to the client, in this current climate, you're moving on to a Zoom call with the client. Someone's going to want to see you at some point. And it's not what you think, or it's not, I'm not saying you, it's not what a lot of people would think. It's not, it's not to identify that person. We really, and I can speak personally, we really just want to see that you've got some personal pride and deportment. That if you do come into our corporate offices, that you are in a position to represent the brand. With that said, a good LinkedIn photo can facilitate that as well. Right. However, at the end of the day, that's really rarely needed as well. Because okay. if you looked at a resume, and let's say it's a technology resume in Microsoft and Cisco and Intel or a provider like ADP, if you've walked those halls, if you've performed well in, in that environment over the course of your career, I'm going to guess your deportment is adequate, right. if not great. I can give you an example. When I was a senior recruiter at Microsoft Canada and I handled the vast majority of the sales and marketing roles nationally, mm-hmm. I was closing about six executive roles a month. I never, ever met a candidate. 
not once. Wow. I would meet them once in a while by happenstance in a hallway if after they got the job and they were an employee and I looked down at a badge and I went, hey, I hired you. But even at Microsoft, and I'm going back to 2008, yep. recruitment team never met a candidate. Wow. How about that? That's not what I would imagine, but that's interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat is what I would say. Yeah. So that's really, I think it's really helpful just to have that behind the scenes understanding of what, I know this isn't typical, this isn't all recruitment processes, but this is really good to know if you're coming back to the world of, if you're coming out of maybe doing your own work or you've been working independently or you've, whatever your situation is, you're coming back into the corporate world. It's really, I think, helpful to have these tips. So I just want to run down for everyone the three things that you you highlighted here. So in the, when you're crafting your resume, it's important to highlight job titles. Yes. Um, So make that easy for your reader, for the recruiter to read that you're looking for tenure. As you mentioned, we're, the reality is that that we're in a gig economy and that people may have jumped from different jobs, but having something that was 24 months and over is signals. It's a good signal to a recruiter. Yes. And to get into the psychology of the reader, think about how you're going to um, highlight those banners, that brand recognition, you know, if you mentioned was bold, even add color to that part so that it really jumps out. And on LinkedIn, it's a lot easier to add, even if it's a small company, to add that company to your list so that there is something there. When you add your company, there's that visual of who you've worked for. Yeah, you get your logo pops up. Recruiters like logos. Again, it's, it draws them in. What is that? And invariably, if it's a company we don't recognize, that little icon is clickable. Yep. We're clicking on it. Yeah. We want to see if this is a two-man shop. We want to see if this, if there's a thousand people working there. We want to see, understand if it's maybe a three-person Canadian team, but it's part of a multinational. So as as small as your operation or where you work might feel, or has as insignificant as you might think it is, let the recruiter, let the reader draw that conclusion. And I think it was really interesting that you mentioned, think of your resume as a highlight reel. And then when you think about your online persona, your LinkedIn persona, to, to really think about putting a third, you said to 50% of the best content up there, content, right? So that yeah. it becomes that teaser reel. And in both the resume and, and your LinkedIn, to have that summation, what are you doing outside of work? Because that's also important in terms of signaling to folks that your ability to work cooperatively, to fit into that you that you're you're not just work focused as well that you've got something outside of that and and then the last thing on the phone interview is that really gives you um that opportunity to shine and to really talk about your skills and your experience and, and to bring that to life and i think that's really important just to have those those really key things that you can do to improve your ability to stand out so i want to thank you so much Jesse, for for offering your time and for letting us peek behind the curtain. Super helpful. If you are a corporation and you're looking for a highly cost-effective transition program for any of your exiting employees, by all means, take a look at us on highroadhr.ca and uh, and you will find uh, a whole host of services that we provide and transition services certainly happens to be one of them. That's perfect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That 
looks like it does it for today. To everyone who tuned in, thanks so much again for joining me on Just One Q. Uh, if you have any of your own burning questions, feel free to reach out to me at hello at learningsnippets.ca or write us a review to let us know what you thought of today's episode. Until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, and this has been Just One Q. This podcast was brought to you by Learning Snippets. Using highly measurable tools and practices, Learning Snippets will help you build a high-performing, inclusive employee culture at scale. Learn more at learningsnippets.ca.